Well, good morning. And if you have your Bibles, would you open them to First Peter? We're continuing our series entitled Living Hope, which um, I had this fanciful idea that we would get all the way through First Peter, and I'm not even sure we're going to get out of chapter 1. So we'll have to come back to this uh, series at some point in the future. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, open them. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Go ahead and grab that. You can look in the table of contents and you'll find First Peter. It's near the back of the book and open to First uh, Peter chapter 1. And we're going to continue where I left you off last time. I gave a blessing at the end. I want to read the verse 9 and then following down into verse, uh, all the way uh, through verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. For you all are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you all. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. This is the Word of God for the people of God, and our response is, thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Well, we are on week three of our little series, and this we discovered that this letter that was written was really more like a sermon. They would call it a circular sermon. That means that that sermon would go to a little church, most likely a house church. It would be read as a sermon, and the church would listen and receive encouragement and instruction uh, through that. And then that would be passed on to the next church and would move on. And these little churches were all found in what we now call the, the country of Turkey. And these little churches were there and they were beginning to experience some forms of persecution. We looked a little more intently at that last week. If you want to hear more about that, you can go uh, to the podcast and listen to that later on. But there were things in this letter that Peter wanted to remind them of. He wanted to remind them who they were, that just because they weren't Jews didn't mean they don't get to get in on the kingdom. Because of what Jesus has done, they are now a part of the family of God. And he uses all that language from the Old Testament to describe now these non-Jews, that they are inherited, that they are a part of this, that they get in on this good, good news. He reminded them that they were called to be cleansed and to give all of themselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would help them to be obedient to Jesus. And this was important. Then last week we began to look at they were called into a living hope. And remember the words that we use. We went all the way to phrases this time. And that word is the word, the phrase is, let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. El Pizza Zosan. Now, I didn't realize that last week was actually National Pizza Day. So some of you thought I was saying El Pizza Zosan. Um, living pizza sounds good too, but this is living hope. 
It is a strong confidence in the good that God brings. And that it is adaptable. The living part of it is that it is adaptable. That no matter what your circumstances, living hope gives you a strong confidence that God is working this out for good. And that's important for us. Peter wanted them to understand that this is what they have been born into. A new world, a new life, and that all of it now is filled with this living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. We had a fun time with a skateboard. If you missed it, shouldn't sleep in on Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we had a great time here uh, to understand the difference between resurrection and resuscitation. That Jesus went all the way through death out into God's life and calls us there. And it transforms everything with this living hope. Now, as we move into our passage today in verse 9, Peter wants to continue to call them to remember something. First, he wants them to remember what result this leads to, this being born into living hope, this being cleansed by the Spirit and being obedient to Jesus. It leads to something. And he says, for you are receiving the end result of your faith. What is it? Let's say it together, the green part. The salvation of your souls. Now we need to unpack that because as we've seen all the way through here, there are a lot of words or phrases that we are so familiar with, we kind of lose the impact of them. So I want to, I want to slow down right here for just a second and begin to look at this. And of course you knew you were going to get a Greek lesson. So the word for salvation is the word soterion. You want to say that's pretty easy to say. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Soterion. Let's say it one more time. Ready? One, two, three. Soterion. And it does mean salvation, but if you were to look it up in the dictionary, of uh, the Greek dictionary, you would see that it, it has this understanding of deliverance. Now, deliverance usually implies that someone was in captivity and they were delivered into freedom. We kind of get that when we think about salvation, that we were saved from a life. Paul would talk about being slaves to sin, but now being alive to Christ. This is the idea of deliverance. But beyond just that moment of moving from slavery to freedom is the understanding in Soterion is much larger. It is also the preservation of something. It's not just that you were taken out of slavery and just set free to go willy-nilly. It's you were set free and now you are protected. You are preserved in this freedom. And there is a sense of safety in this freedom because the one who has set you free is now with you, around you, surrounding you, shepherding you, guiding you, helping you. This is what is meant by salvation. Soterion. It's not just a moment. It begins in a moment and continues on through your life, maintaining, preserving, and keeping this sense of safety in your freedom. And what is it that is saved? Come on. Your souls. That's right. Now, we think we tend to think of souls as kind of this spiritual disembodied thing that's kind of trapped in our flesh. And, and we need to look at this for a second. And to help, um, the thing that has been most helpful for, for me in understanding a lot of moving from Greek into English is, to, is this book here, Greek Words and Hebrew Meetings. I know they say you can't judge a book by, your co- by its cover, but you can judge this book by that cover. It was a tough read. Quite boring. But what he says in this and helps to understand... 
is that the Bible, although the New Testament was written in Greek, because they wanted people who were not Jewish to understand it. Even though they wrote in Greek, they were Jews themselves. And so many times, when you see a Greek word, it is not the Greek meaning that is attached to it. Because they were Hebrews. And if there was a Hebrew word, that's probably the stronger meaning of even though they wrote it in Greek so that somebody else could understand it. And the word for soul in Greek is the word pasukson. You want to say that one just because it's fun to say. Ready? One, two, three. Pasukson. Yeah, it's a great word. You can use that one, I don't know where. Uh, but we'll say it again. Ready? One, two, three. Pasukson. Now that connotation of psukson gets really wrapped up in Aristotelian and Platonic philosophy. Aren't you glad? And they, I'm not going to go and give you a philosophy lesson, but there was this understanding that flesh is kind of the negative or less than and the spirit is inside and we're waiting and finding ways for this flesh to die off so the spirit can go out into God. I mean, they wouldn't, you know, the greater whatever that they would talk about in Aristotelian and Platonic thought. So my hunch is that's not what they had in mind. But there is a Hebrew word that is used for soul. And it is the word nephesh. It's written out there on the side. That's the Hebrew language. You start on this side and read this way. Nephesh. Let's say that together. Ready? One, two, three. Nephesh. I want to say it one more time. Get it in your brain. Ready? One, two, three. Nephesh. Nephesh is, is mentioned right in the first part of the Bible in Genesis when God took dirt and formed a, a being and then blew breath into that person and it says, and Adam became a nephesh, a living nephesh. This means then, whenever you see this used throughout all of Hebrew Scripture, nephesh includes the soul, that, that understanding, but it's much larger than that. It includes the self, the life, the creature itself, the person, the appetites, the mind, the living, the being, the desiring, the emotion, the passion. This is all what it means to be a living nephesh. One small thing that this means is that this body that you were given is not bad or evil. It's just broken and in need of healing. And God longs for that to be in your life. You see how this is a much broader definition than just a disembodied something going somewhere after this body dies. It includes all of your life. So nephesh is more holistic in nature. And Peter has this in mind when he said this is the result of your trusting in Jesus. That nephesh, all of it, that soul, self, life, creature, person, appetite, mind, living, being, desiring, emotion, passions, all of them are delivered. They are set free from captivity to sin. And then they are sheltered and preserved in safety to grow, to be the human being that God created you and me to be. That's a pretty big gift. Did you realize? Sometimes we just say, yeah, save my soul. Like it was just, it just rolls off the tongue. God, by trusting in Jesus, saves, delivers, pers- pres- preserves in safety all of these things. Your nephesh. 
Let's not limit it to something that happens when we take our last breath. It is now here that when we place our trust in Christ, all of that can be redeemed. Amen? So then he goes on and he says, I want to remind you out of, based on that, I want to remind you of a few things that you in this gift, you all, he's saying to the churches, but he's saying to us today, you have the very gift that others have longed for all their lives and never had an opportunity to see. He writes, he writes there in uh, verse, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. I know this is strange, but hang with me here. He's going someplace and he's inviting us to come along with him. There were some prophetic actions that took place that he calls attention to. First, they did what? They searched intently and with greatest care. And they had help, along with the help of the Spirit of Christ where? In them. Now, we're going to pause just for a second, because I think it's important that we understand that we... What God does through Scripture and what we as Nazarenes understand about Scripture. That we have Scripture and prophecy, as we're talking about here, because of cooperation, not possession. Let me explain that to you. It means that they searched. There was a part of the human being that was searching intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. So there is a both and here. God doesn't just squash the person. There are some versions of, of how people understanding the Bible like it dropped out of heaven from God's hand into somebody's lap. Or that God took over and the guy was, was trying to write someone else and the Spirit came and just started moving the pen and they had no idea what they were writing. And, and then it was done and here it is, the Word of God. God has always been about participating with us and in us. So there was a deep human searching and longing to see. But yes, it was the Spirit of Christ in them, both and together. The Spirit within Pointing the way, Peter says, and the prophets participating in their searching, in their diligence, in their great care to look and to write down what they were seeing and what they were hearing. This is what we as Nazarenes believe about Scripture. And we believe that God is so involved in this process that it is the authoritative word for all things necessary for our salvation. It's always pointing us forward to Jesus. From the first book of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation, it is the story of God redeeming the world through Jesus Christ, His Son. And this came about because God cooperated. We cooperated with God in this writing down what He is pointing us to. These prophetic actions, he says later on, discover that it wasn't just for them, but it was also for future generations. That meant those little churches in Turkey. And today it means who? Us. We benefit 
from this as well. Verse 12 tells us it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, and that's a plural you, so you heard me read it as you all, when they spoke of the things that they were seeing. So we need to pause there because we need to be reminded today, and Peter wanted to remind those little churches, our faith is never solely just about you as an individual. It is always for others. Now, that includes you as an individual, but we're in this thing for the world. Not just for the church. I didn't get an amen on that one. We're in this thing. God calls us into this thing. God brings us into this living hope for the world. Not just for the church. Sometimes we can get very wrapped up in looking right here at myself. Am I saved? Am I? And that's, a, that's an important part. I'm not denying that. But once you know that you have the living hope, your eyes need to point outward to show that this is called for someone outside of these walls, that you were saved in order to tell someone about salvation. This is an important thing to share what Christ has done in you. Then he tells them to remember that the Spirit is still at work today. It wasn't just with the prophets long ago. It's not just in reading the Scriptures that we find that. It's not just in us and, and them. But the Spirit is still alive today. He goes on and says, It was revealing to them that they were not serving themselves but you all when they spoke of the things that have now... What's that word? Now. Is that a present tense word? Yes. Now. Now have been told you by the those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Our faith isn't just about searching. It is also about proclaiming. Did you hear that? This isn't just a a word for pastors, although there are some who are called to preach. But we are all called to proclaim through our words, through our actions, through our love, through our service, through our mercy, through our compassion, and through our forgiveness. Our faith is meant to be shared and proclaimed. And we are called to this, and Peter wants to remind them of this. Lastly, he throws in this really weird thing. It says, even angels long to see this gift that you have in front of you. Now, this is a strange word. It is the word parakupsi. You want to say that with me, don't you? One, two, three, paracoopsi. It's not a pair of chicken coops, it's a paracoopsi. Ready? One, two, three, paracoopsi. It means to stoop or contort in order to keep seeing. Some of your, if you're reading the King James Version, you'll see angels long to stoop over, stoop over to, to catch a glimpse of this. When I think of this, I think of my son Jackson when he was about two. Anytime you go to Myers, we would go by the meat place and there's this fascinating little thing that is filled with lobsters how many of you have kids who are fascinated with the lobsters when you go to Meyer? and he always wanted to, to go over and see the lobsters see them crawling on one another sometimes a butcher would be nice and pull one out so he could see it and i think he touched it once and you know, all this but as you're going away from the lobsters and he's in that little cart he would just contort himself to see around whoever was pushing the cart in order. And it was uncomfortable. It had to be uncomfortable. I mean, it's like wire there. You know, he's, but he did not want to miss one thing that those lobsters might have done there. This is the understanding of paracoopsi. And Peter says, 
you have been so blessed that even the angels contort themselves to look and to see the good hope being born in you, being proclaimed by you, being empowered through the Spirit in you. The angels long to see. Then he goes on. And he says, therefore, and remember, whenever you see a therefore, you need to check and see what the therefore is there for, okay? So we need to look at this therefore by looking at what Peter has pulled us through in this strange little passage. Therefore, if you have received the redemption, the deliverance, the preservation, and the safety of your souls, your life, your being, all of who you are, your nephesh, if it has been saved. Therefore, if the prophets search for this living hope for you all, therefore, if our faith includes more than just you, but is meant for those around us, therefore, if preachers proclaimed Him to you and you received living hope, therefore, if angels are willing to make themselves uncomfortable to see this gift take place and take root in you, then... You must gird up the loins of your mind. Aren't you blessed? Now, I know, your translation says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. But many of your translations will say the word literal, which is, Gird up the loins of your mind. Very strange. So I want to show something to you. We did not wear fancy stuff like this, and I can't believe I'm going to put on another layer of clothing in this hot sanctuary. But this was probably closer. This is my summer bathrobe. Yes, I'm so fancy. I have a summer bathrobe. And uh, most of them would, would uh, have this on fairly tight. And it made, uh, ladies, you will understand this if you ever wear long dresses. Is it very easy when a dress is long and tight, is form-fitting? Is it easy to run or jump or move <laughs> at all? No? So there would be this thing where if it was required in those Hebrew days, if you needed to run or move or do anything athletic, you would have to kind of be a little uncomfortable. I'm going to be a little uncomfortable here in a second. And you would have to make sure that this thing could could sustain the movement of your legs as you're running or doing whatever action. So you would have to gird up. Are you ready? So, wait. So you have to kind of maneuver this thing. Those of you who do cloth diapers, it's similar. And you tuck it in. And voila! Look at that. I've girded up. I'm ready for action. Now, every, every commentator I watched said, oh, it's like rolling up your sleeves. But who wants to do that? That's boring. When you can gird up, you want to do that. Something that, that just struck me about girding up is that it, it's kind of silly. <laughs> it exposes things. It can be uncomfortable. But if we have received the salvation of our souls and living hope, if the prophets were faithful to point out what the Spirit told them, if our faith truly is for someone else, 
If this is so important that angels themselves are willing to contort to not miss the moment when someone places their living hope in Jesus Christ, then maybe we can, with our minds, and this is going to be important here in just a second, begin to be a little more disciplined, to, to do something that might be uncomfortable, to read something that might be not be the most enjoyable thing to read, but might be the salvation of your soul and somebody else's whole life. Are we willing to do that, church? Because Peter says, if all of this is true, then therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Do the difficult thing. Do the thing that exposes you. Do the thing that only the Spirit can help you accomplish. Set your mind to that. He says, and set your mind soberly to the hope that is coming. To the gift that is coming when Jesus returns. When was the last time you did the difficult thing? Maybe it's just opening the Bible and reading. Maybe it was stretching yourself to read something that was maybe a little hard. Don't start with uh, Greek words and Hebrew meanings. But you wanted to stretch. You wanted to grow deeper in your faith. You realize that you have that gift that others have longed their whole lives for and never got to see. It's sitting right in front of you. It's right here today. Are you willing to gird up the loins of your minds? I'll never forget, I was sitting in my very first master's degree class with Dr. Steve Green. And it was one of the most challenging moments in my life. I call it a Holy Spirit moment because I felt the power of the Spirit in that moment. And he was a difficult professor. And there were those there who were frustrated by the amount of work that we had to do. And we had to do these crazy things called exegetical work. We had to look at this if we were going to be preachers of the Old Testament. That was the class. And somebody in their frustration approached him in class, raised their hand and said, Dr. Green... If I'm going to be a pastor, do I really have to know Greek and Hebrew? And do I, do I have to do this exegetical stuff? And Dr. Green, with love and frustration, looked us all right in the eyes and said, Men and women, never forget that you were called to love the Lord your God with all your mind. Said so you better, you don't have to know it all by tomorrow, but you should start sometime. Brothers and sisters, we are called to gird up the loins of our mind so that with sober, deep intention, we can begin to set our hope on the gift of Jesus, the living hope. Are you ready? Are you ready to be a little uncomfortable? Are you ready to search? How is your search going? What are you reading? John Wesley said a holy people is a reading people because reading people grow deeper into their understanding of what God is calling them to. How's your search? If you are searching, do you realize that it isn't just for you? Many of us can read scripture and read the Bible and become great academics. And forget that all of that knowledge was so that someone else can be brought into the living hope. How about you? How's your search going? Are your ears open? The Spirit is still speaking through preachers today. Are your ears open and ready to receive 
what the Holy Spirit might lead that pastor to say. Are you willing to be uncomfortable? It might take some work. There are going to be cards in your bulletin next week. If ours is an inviting faith, an announcing faith, a proclaimed faith, can you invite someone to begin coming with you during the Lenten season and on through to Easter? What would that be like? I know it's uncomfortable. And lastly, have you set your hope on Jesus? Today, you can receive living hope. Some of us have been here a long time. And because of that, we sometimes can just say, well, we go through the motions. I hope you heard Peter challenging you today to say, hey, if all this is true in your life, there's actions that need to go along with it. It's not the actions that save you. You already have the living hope. But your response to the living hope is to study, to search, to listen, to receive, and to proclaim, and to invite, and to go. What about you. If you're brand new with us today, I also want you to know that this is for you. And I am proclaiming to you that now you might enter in to the living hope. Are you ready? Are you ready to be a little uncomfortable? Folks, we've been called that even in our 10-4 goals that we are working on, there's some uncomfortable things there to invite, to receive visitors, to build ties with our We Care Center, to begin to see them to come. Are you ready? Are you willing? For He is able. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this, what seemed like at the beginning, bizarre passage of Scripture. We pray today that it has challenged us to not rest in our pews waiting for the end, but to receive the full living hope that saves every part of our being, that delivers it, that preserves it, that keeps it safe, that moves us. May we be today grateful for the gift of what the prophets wrote to us. May we receive it and realize we are called to proclaim it. That we stand in a greater place than angels, for they even long to see this happen in human beings. But God, we confess that so often we have not We have not girded our minds. We have not done the difficult thing. So we confess to you that we need your Spirit to move us, to shape us, to push us, to challenge us, to lead us, to invite us into your Scripture, into prayer, into your mercy and your compassion, to ask for wisdom from you. And if today we are brand new, that we are seeing this scripture lived out by the proclamation of living hope that now can be the day for you to receive the salvation of your soul. So Father, challenge us here. Help us to say yes. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, 
Is there someone here today who would say, this Jesus that you've talked about who loves, this Christ who is in, can be in us and shape us and help us, if that's you today, you want for the very first time to place your trust in the living hope of Jesus. If that's you today, would you raise your hand right where you are? No one's looking around? Yes. See that hand? Yes. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, those who have said yes to you, the angels are celebrating right now as they have witnessed this entrance into living hope. We pray that you would confirm this in their hearts and in their minds right now. Help them to share it with someone near them that they trust, that we might celebrate with them. And now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, are there those who have felt challenged by the Holy Spirit today that are saying, you know, I've, I've kind of just not been willing to do the uncomfortable thing, but I want to trust that God will help me to invite, to read, to pray, to enter into the patterns that will develop that living hope within me. If that's you today, church, would you raise your hand all across the sanctuary? Yes, yes. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Many of you. Yes. Amen. Amen. Father, help them as they leave this place. Put someone on their mind that they can invite. Give them an idea for a book to read that will sharpen their faith. Pull them to a certain passage of Scripture. Help them to begin to memorize, to read. Invite them into times of prayer. Teach them and grow them that they might become ones who proclaim our living hope. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name, our living hope's name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Would you stand and receive the final blessing? Don't forget about spaghetti. Today I'm going to do the blessing a little different because I'm going to go ahead and bless the food because they want the line to keep moving and do all of that. So may God bless our food. As we eat together, may God use the money to get our teens who are our quizzers, who are girding their minds up to be ready to share and to proclaim. And may God bless our time of fellowship together there. Now, may you, may you do the difficult thing, the uncomfortable thing. May you share the living hope that is within you. May you teach and proclaim. May you invite and show the love and mercy of the Christ who saves you. I pray all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.